0: Listening to No Plot Only Lore, a podcast about games and the tables we play them at. Your DMs tonight and every night are Josh and Chris. You can find us on all podcast platforms or check us out at noplotonlylore.com. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review the show and share it with everyone you've ever met.
1: Folks, welcome back to No Plot Only Lore. This week is going to be a doozy because someone is wrong on the internet, and they made the mistake of bragging about it. I am, as always, the host that chooses violence, Josh. With me is my diplomatic solution, Christopher.
0: I think that we should probably approach this person with calmness and peace and the kindness that we have in our hearts.
1: Absolutely not. I have been thinking about how I'm going to tear this guy a new asshole all day, and it's been the only thing motivating me to finish my work without just screaming into the void.
0: Uh, so I feel like I, I want to take just one moment okay. and point out the two different approaches that you and I had to this Uh uh-huh. because you very early, let me know that you wanted to let this guy have it. Yeah. And I spent the vast majority of today writing out a 1300 word essay about the history and evolution of role-playing games that we are not going to use.
1: And I spent (laughs) four hours in in my work vehicle thinking about how this guy is a cock mangler and needs to be thrown off a bridge. So, uh, preamble. Uh, Someone, I don't don't remember exactly how it came across my feed, uh, but someone linked to an article by a gentleman named the Realm Builder guy, Matthias Suck. Uh, Mr. Suck is an amateur TTRPG designer. And for that whatever reason it's pronounced. S-U-U-C-K has gotta be suck. I can't think of anything else it could be. <laughs> all right. Anyways, Mr. Suck uh basically made a very self-involved post that uh TLDR says everything after D is just not D D. We're all doing it wrong, and Gygax's perfect vision happened in 1960 something. And we should just live with it, and whatever's happening
0: today, while good for you, plebs, isn't real D anD D. So one thing that I do want to talk about before we get into like the the rest of the thing is that like the the thing that he's responding to, like I don't I don't know if you uh, watched the interview at all. No, absolutely. Um, it, it's about a product that uh, Watzie is putting out for the 50th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, and the part that they're referencing in the article was about diversity in role playing games. They were talking about how um, things that came about in the first editions of Dungeons and Dragons wouldn't get past their diversity people today. Right? Like the fact that you used to be able to be a fight man. Instead of a fighter or a magic man instead of a, a wizard, right? Like these were things that wouldn't necessarily get past the D&D uh, inclusivity folks now. And also, I don't understand a bunch of...
1: Men are the only people who leave the house to adventure while women stay home and tend to the children.
0: I mean, when it was written, that was a, a fair... Um,
1: Probably an accurate description of the, the general mindset at the time.
0: Yeah, like it was a fair assumption that men were going to go out and be warriors. Like women weren't allowed to be in the armed forces at the time. And the stereotypes were that a bunch of guys were going to go out adventuring, right? Like if you if you look at Lord of the Rings, yeah, there are two women and neither of them is necessarily an adventurer one has adventure thrust upon her and the other is safe in rivendell until she like goes across the ocean and commits suicide or whatever it is the elves do
1: you know uh, just based on the ambiguous wording i think you could make the case that gimli's a woman
0: yeah no that's fair yeah that's fair even he was kind of coy about it yeah i mean i I think all the dwarves were and for good reason yeah no i'll I'll accept that headcanon yeah but, like, the the fact that Dungeons & Dragons started in the 60s meant that there was a very particular mindset that was in vogue at the time that isn't anymore. And the thing that uh, Jason Tondro was talking about is that those ideas don't reflect D&D anymore. Right. right? Those are not D&D. That is not D&D. And so yeah. what our ass weasel friend here decided to do <laughs> is that realm builder guy is take that in a whole ass different direction and talk about how everything after third edition is crap
1: no he even said third edition was crap in, in a sense oh yeah um, because yeah. this this guy said basically the game came out almost perfectly in 1974 and everything printed after the millennium uh is garbage um
0: <laughs> i i don't think i caught the the Will Smith reference when I was reading the article. <laughs> I, I inferred it from his
1: obvious undertones.
0: Um, okay, I, I wasn't sure if there was just like a separate uh, <laughs> interview where they were playing like Wild Wild West in the background or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, as the party is getting jiggy with it, uh, they are, um, yeah, no, but he literally said, uh, the game ended in 1999. Um, we had 25 right. years of a a perfect role-playing system as birthed uh, immaculately from the forehead of Gary Gygax, uh, and then these dang liberals ruined it, or whatever his (laughs) point was. Um, So yeah, his... his,
0: Sorry. I'll I'll be the first to admit that I am prone to overgeneralizing sometimes. Like, I, I don't know if you remember the blog that I ran back in the day, but... There was definitely a time where I said something to the effect of like fourth edition is mathematically perfect, <laughs> which is just like factually inaccurate, <laughs> like, but it's for, for the sake of the hyperbole. It yeah, was, that's it was... the
1: kind of like broad strokes generalization that I can get behind.
0: Uh, <laughs> that's just because you like fourth edition. <laughs> I,
1: don't, I don't just like fourth edition. I like speaking in ridiculous absolutes. Knowing yeah, that yeah. they will absolutely get under someone's skin who can't
0: help but respond to my incorrect statement. Um, well, and, like, I got my shit verbally kicked in by one of the asshats that designed a, an OSR game Um and then later turned out to be, like, beating his girlfriend or whatever. Um, yeah, because
1: that's what they all do. They all hearken back to the 50s and 60s, where they could punch their girlfriend in the mouth to keep her in <laughs> her place, and that's why they want to play that version of D&D, because it reminds them of the good old days.
0: Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> okay, anyways. Um,
1: so, yeah, so so basically the thrust of his initial post here is that, like, hey, um, they made skills too easy, Like, he literally called uh, Insight, like, a truth serum, and Persuasion a mind control skill, which, like, it's always hilarious to me when these, like, bad DMs and bad players just tell on themselves online, because it's clear that, like, he's never once had a, like, a reasonable thought in his head, like, hey, maybe I should, like, just use that to slightly influence the conversation. Like, dice rolls are not absolute will of the gods on our game, like... I am allowed to adjudicate, which is ironically enough what he wants the DM to be doing. It's just adjudicating rules.
0: Um well, I mean one of the one of the things that I love about Insight in particular is that like yes, you can use your characters innate abilities to read people and read the room, but it's not mind reading. No, right? like you don't no. you don't have an idea of what they're thinking. If they're hiding something, it might be about the thing that they're saying, or it might be tangentially related, right? Like they're, they're telling you something to avoid telling you something else. They're telling you a absolute truth, but they're telling a lie of omission, right? Like there's no way for you to necessarily know that unless the DM tells you, right? Right. If the DM just tells you, yeah, it seems like they might be hiding something. Right, there's so many different interpretations of that, and so many different ways that you can take that in so many directions that the results of that can take your game.
1: Well, that's that's what's right. so funny about it is that like it's completely at the DM's discretion, and so to say it's mm-hmm. like like there's nowhere in the rules does it say when you succeed on your insight check you know exactly what that person's thinking. Mm-hmm. Like either this guy's has been playing with bad DMs his whole life, or he is a bad d m because he expects everything to be spelled out for him, and then he can't like think critically
0: well, and then like you've got like persuasion skills which um they do have some influence over a like verbal social interaction, but how you use that and what you're using it to do can be more interesting than just like I roll a D20, I get a 23. So now the guards are going to let us in to the bank. Right. Again, and we're going to just walk into the bank vault. Yeah. Again, it comes back
1: to like, maybe your DM shouldn't be dumb and realize that like at a certain point, no matter how successful you are at persuading someone, there's certain things you're just not going to do. Like no amount of talking is going to make the Brinks guy hand his gun at a giant sack of money over to you. Right? It's just not going to happen. I disagree
0: with that point, but like, <laughs> it has to be... Because, like, you could set up a number of social situations in which you are slowly bringing the Brinks guy over to your side so that eventually the two of you can rob the Brinks truck together. Right? That sounds like a fun time.
1: Sure, but you don't just, like, walk up to a gardener like,
0: ha ha ha, I'm persuasive, give me your pants. Like, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> By the power of my shiny charisma, you must do what I tell you.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this guy has a very simplistic view of not just, like, D&D but I think the whole world in general um, but uh, you know, he keeps coming back to the idea of like oh this game is too easy there's too many like things that help you along the way he complains that there's too many races that have dark vision uh, that, that light is too easy to cast like he wants he, he wants it to be like I, I, light being a cantrip I, I cannot understand why he's complaining that like people don't have to squint anymore like uh, you know he He says, oh, well... I mean, I guess it... People aren't tracking...
0: Go ahead. Maybe it takes away from, like, some of the horror elements that he prefers to play with. Then go
1: play a horror game. This is an adventure game. Those are two
0: different genres. And even then, they don't don't have to be. Like, a creepy hallway is a creepy hallway, lit or nay. Well,
1: yeah. It's not like he's, like, constantly casting, like bright daylight, the sun is behind me. Like, yeah, you can see because you're holding a flashlight, but, like, the, maybe as a DM, you could play with, like, hey, um, the way people's, like, vision works is that at the end of that circle of light, it's actually darker than it would be if you didn't have light. So now, like, things are kind of almost invisible past that light, you know? Like,
0: it's... Or, like, giving <laughs> hints of creatures, right? Like, that, that's always yeah. one of my favorite, like, horror things to do is, like, you see... Like a creature's knees. Yeah. Right? Like you, yeah. you see some otherworldly inhuman feet and Yeah. knees. And there's just, they're they seem mostly normal, but there's something just a little bit wrong with them.
1: A barbed tail slithers around the corner out of sight. Like, oh,
0: I wonder what that could be. Or like build your encounters so that they're utilizing the environment in different ways, right? Like have something skitter in the air vents above you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that there are answers to these problems.
1: Yes. And the answer is not take away the ability to cast light as a cantrip because I can't think. <laughs> he complains that like, oh, you don't have to track encumbrance and rations and water and ammunition. You could. You don't have to. You
0: could. The the numbers are in there. You I was could. actually thinking Just do it. Just uh, shut up and do it. I mentioned to you recently that I thought it would be really cool to do like a an early paleolithic
1: yeah, campaign yeah, yeah.
0: that's like mostly survival based. Yeah. And just kind of like pull a bunch from the dark sun rules for like breakable equipment. Yeah. Arc the
1: RPG. Like,
0: yeah. Like just make sure that you've got your rations and your water taken care of. And if you don't, then like actually one thing that uh fifth edition brought in uh, a bit more into the mainstream of the rules is like their exhaustion rules yeah. Right. Like the there are actually like a, there's an exhausted state that is damning, and so being hungry, being tired, being thirsty, those can actually have like a real mechanical effect on your attempts to survive. And I I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. I think that's a cool mechanic.
1: Yep. And again, it's all in there. You're just choosing not to use it. And guess what? Mm-hmm. A lot more people are choosing not to use it because that. Shit ain't fun. Again,
0: it can be. (laughs) It can be. But, like, for the most part,
1: it's just paperwork. It's just doing your taxes. It's, like... Yeah. It's just minutia. Like, he he has the audacity to, like, put the scare quotes in there, like, Oh, it's uninteresting or tedious and doesn't help move the story forward. Yes! Yes, exactly! Mm -hmm. Like, that... If you don't understand what the purpose of a role-playing game is, and I don't think this guy does, then that's fine. You can stick with like you know your 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 tabletop war games and your you know um, Napoleonic military simulators or whatever you want to do. <laughs> like if if you really want to track encumbrance and rations and gasoline and water, then play the campaign for North Africa. That's fine. It's still out there and it hasn't changed much since the eighties. You can do that. It's fine. There's... there's i actually played it. You shouldn't. But I'm just saying... Oh, okay. Like, there's a whole bunch of, like, very specific minutiae games out there in the wargaming world that are like, hey, guess what? You know what the real enemy is? Supply lines.
0: Like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I... It, Love Avalon Hill games, or at least I, I did when I was a teenager. I haven't played one in many many years. Yeah, and like yeah, that is always the lesson, right? Your your supply lines, like Sun Tzu, wasn't fucking around. When- no, it,
1: it, there's big big chunks of the Art of War that are just like, hey, you idiot noble, you have to feed these people all the time,
0: like logistics, every day. Logistics, logistics, and logistics logistics also all I don't the time for-
1: I don't know if you noticed, but your horse eats a shitload too. Don't forget to feed your horse. Like, there's there's a whole series that they could just call Logistics, the board game, and I'm sure this guy would love it. He just didn't realize it exists because he was so stuck in the idea that elves are the only way you play on a tabletop. When he realized, Isn't he could that go be, Twilight it's Imperium, I mean, <laughs> I'm, we're not going to go down the rabbit trail of how much I dislike Twilight Imperium, but um, but yeah, like I'm just saying, there's there's. He seems to like one thing, and he's mad yep. that the thing he used to like isn't that thing anymore. Um, it's a better thing. Except it it's is. It's a more accessible thing. Oh, sure, it could be. He just, he seems unable to think creatively and needs everything else handheld for him so that he can point back to the book and say, no, 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 it says here that I'm allowed to do that, or I'm supposed to do that, or you are you're, you're right. actually, you've got three arrows left. So, um, like,
0: rolling back a few episodes where we were talking about like criticism and bad faith criticism. Yes. Uh, One of the more common versions of bad faith criticism that I see is the idea that releasing something new has ruined your childhood. Right. Right. You have a new Star Wars movie that has come out Mm -hmm. that because it exists has ruined all of the other Star Wars movies for you. Yeah. Which I... Have always found a little difficult to wrap my head around because yeah. a new hope is going to continue to exist, right? Right. Empire Strikes Back doesn't disappear because Ray is a Skywalker now, or whatever. Spoilers for the sequel trilogy that everybody's already seen. Um, but like the idea that new things in gaming, new editions of a game, have ruined the old edition. You can still just play first edition D anD. D Yeah It's there Um,
1: Like I will say Okay uh, Never mind the fact that like We're talking about two very different mediums here Um, Mm -hmm. But The point I think is even Stronger on the RPG side Because like once you own the books You just own those books and no one can ever Take them away from you right Um, Mm -hmm. But I understand being excited for something that you think is going to like give you more of a thing you already love and then Mm -hmm. being disappointed that it's not what you thought it was going to be i i i think that's like a valid feeling to have but like you said it doesn't make the thing you already liked go away like i can say i'm not a fan of the sequel trilogies i don't think they're very Mm -hmm. well written and i don't think they're true to like the the Star Wars that have been established up until their release. But sure. I can also choose to just never watch them again and enjoy the other five movies that are good.
0: I mean we're we're both right. old enough that we were around when the prequel trilogy came out. And like I remember a lot of the backlash very similar backlash to the Phantom Menace. Right. Like the, there was a solid like week where everybody was totally thrilled about the Phantom Menace. And then immediately after that, everybody was like, was it a good movie though?
1: Right. And that's the thing. And, like there's, there's definitely parts of that movie that will trick you into thinking it was a good movie. Um, yeah. And then, you, you know, as you sober up from, you know, your honeymoon phase with the movie, and it's like, oh, right. actually, a lot of the stuff that't make sense.
0: but so, but like the th- the thing is is i I didn't particularly enjoy the prequel trilogy myself, right. But I also recognize that for a lot of people, including my son, the prequel trilogy is Star Wars, yeah, right it's It's the same level of Star Wars that the original trilogy was for me when I was growing up, right. Right, and so I can't say that that isn't Star Wars. I can't say that the sequel trilogy isn't Star Wars. Because right. to somebody, at some point, it will be.
1: Uh, Okay, I understand the sentiment you're going for. I don't think, <laughs> listen,
0: I'm just saying. I don't, we're fighting about Star Wars no, now. We started I, another thing, we're fighting about Star Wars now. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't
1: think the sequel trilogy, given its like quality is going to be star wars as we know star wars for a generation i i, I think thought that
0: about the prequel trilogies too
1: okay that's fair um i i think the prequel trilogies are a cut above the quality of the sequel but that's that's neither here nor there i think there is star wars stuff out there now that will be mm-hmm. then for people and they're gonna have to have a disney plus subscription to see it <laughs> but it's out there, right? I just yeah. I just don't think that those specific pieces, but I, I understand what you're saying.
0: All right. Uh, so arguments okay. about Star Wars aside. Um. Okay. Yeah, we got we got to get off Star Wars because we'll be here for seven <laughs>
1: hours. Um, I uh, okay. Look, give, just give me a second. I want to hit. I want to just briefly state a couple of the points that he hits on that drive me insane. Right. Um, okay. One, his complaint that the role of the DM has shifted from rules adjudicator to like. Um, game facilitator, I guess. He, he, I think, I think he used. Yeah, well, he also says that, like, oh, well, you know, there's just so much to keep track of that DMs have to railroad people and fudge the dice. Um, they gotta, you know, that there's. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, oh, they have to be an entertainer and and. You know, the gone are morale checks and counter reaction tables, random encounters, getting lost in the wilderness, <laughs> and roaming monster tables. <laughs> yeah, all the dumb bullshit that was just a random roll of the dice that fucked your night up. Yep, it's a that's gone pleasure to meet you. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, he says combat is a slog that can chew up hours, uh, only if your DM wants it to be,
0: um, and only if. You're bad at combat. Yes. He he
1: like, simultaneously complains that every character is optimized for combat and combat alone, and then complains that combat takes forever.
0: So, except that first edition D&D was a lot of combat. Like, the vast was, majority of the book was how to kill people.
1: That's all it was, because there wasn't anything else. Because it was a war game,
0: you know? Well, there were some notes about how to draw a map on some graph paper. Yeah,
1: great. Um, I mean, also, like, this guy clearly has never... Like, again, he hasn't had an original creative thought in his life. Uh, Fourth edition introduced the idea of minions. Do you know how often I use minions? All the time. Literally every game. Do you know where I find them in my fifth edition handbook? Nowhere. It doesn't exist! I
0: made it myself! I mean, it's not really all that hard. You just... Take a normal monster and you make their hit points one.
1: Yeah, and then maybe like increase the amount of damage they do a little bit. That's it. You can't. I, I, I
0: feel like the lethality is already really strong, depending on like how many. Yeah, monsters yeah. You have F- like Fifth, action economy is a big deal to try and balance.
1: Fifth is more lethal for sure. Um, and the reason that they had the minions boosted a bit in fourth edition because you know characters had more health, but you no, know, whatever. I I <laughs> I like dangerous things that you can overcome quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and having, like, a small platoon of dudes for your heroic characters to chew through Yeah, is fun. Everyone
1: loves rolling a fistful of dice when they target Fireball on, like, seven goblins. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Mm-hmm. Um, so... He complains that oh yeah, I definitely ran fifth edition for many groups in long-term campaigns, and then he says the mechanical shortcomings of fifth edition ended the campaigns.
0: I am calling two hundred percent horseshit on this. If you I would be interested in knowing which mechanical shortcomings he's talking about, because there are some. Like I'm, I'm not gonna
1: sugar the mechanical it. shortcomings of your game ended at level 20 because you couldn't think of, like, epic tier content, again,
0: that's on you. I mean, the bigger problem with uh, anything over, like, level 12 is that the action economy does get crazy, which is actually helped by minions. Like, having minions um, helps reduce player action economy by quite a bit. Yeah. So that that's a good thing to add, especially in, like, the later levels. Yeah. Is... You have other things to soak up, some of those like forty-three attacks that your fighter has.
1: Yeah. Also, like he talks about how he loves AD&D and basic D&D, and apparently, them and like old stuff like castles and crusades and the Hyperborea and swords and wizardry mm-hmm. like help create the quote-unquote perfect game for him and his players. Like I just I I'm not buying it. I'm yeah. uh, this is one guy's love of a very specific style of play, and to say that like oh yeah most of my players are kids age nine to fourteen or only know three point five or five. I okay sure yeah I'm sure those guys. Love going back to a restrictive system that kills them instantly, where they can't figure out. You have to roll dice to see if you can make it down the hallway because you trip over your own feet and fall into a spike pit. Great, super fun. Again,
0: it can it can be fun. Like I, I have played a couple of um, like one off campaigns or like one shots using first edition rules, and they have been a good time. Sure, um, but like to say that. Because there's such a fundamental difference
1: between that style of play and what Dungeons and Dragons is now that it's just not Dungeons and Dragons is asinine agreed um okay. yeah, so I mean, first of all, he says some things, especially in the follow up post about like the expressed intent of gygax arneson holmes cook (laughs) etc and i'm like you're talking out of your ass but um he first of all he says oh well the moment gygax lost control of tsr it lost the original design intent um
0: ad and d second edition
1: (laughs) yes, his his beloved version is not the intent of Gygax. Which, great, thanks for countering your own argument. But, second of all, um, how the hell would you know? Like, you're not Gygax. Gygax <laughs> is dead. Unless you have powers I'm unaware of, you can't be questioning him on the, you know, 5th edition rule set and whether or not it follows in his perfect laid out for, plan for the, the game into infinity. Um, well, and it
0: feels kind of strange to think of, like, Dungeons and Dragons as envisioned by Gygax compared to what was being played even as like late as the eighties and nineties. Right? Like there are aspects of Dungeons and Dragons that didn't catch on until the game had finally reached like the West Coast in the US, where like the Californian gamers who had never played with Gygax or Arneson right like this was when the game was finally like getting out there and getting like disseminated to various groups of people that didn't when the, personally know the original designers yeah yeah and they they started pretending to be the characters and it wasn't until that point that we actually got like the the role play part of a role-playing game right until then it was just a, a miniature war game where your team was fighting against a game master who controlled the bad guys right it was just a, a small-scale tactical war game and it wasn't until we started seeing some invention on top of that and some innovation on top of that that role-playing games became the thing that we know them as today
1: oh but but christopher that those were not gary gygax himself so obviously they're not that's not D either so d and d if it involves any role playing is not d and d
0: well i mean there's yeah the the big thing with d and d and like the way that it has changed is that it's it's changing in reaction to the same cultural influences that everything else is, right like i mean cultural improvements. In... Not just the improvements, it also reflects some of the the less great stuff that we see in cultural movement, right like the um, the glorification of systems that hurt various people um, is definitely a theme that ran throughout second edition D Um and continued to a smaller degree in third edition and it wasn't until we started getting into like the the 4th edition and 5th edition discussions that we were talking about uh inclusivity like again my old ass blog there was a lengthy post about the art direction in D&D and how Dungeons and Dragons 3rd edition for a while pulled back on the hypersexualization and then slowly started sprinkling it back in over the lifetime of the product and then like talking about pulling that back again and making it um, a bit more inclusive for other kinds of players. Uh, the fact that, like, there were so few people of color in uh, the various source books and that sort of thing. So, like, those kinds of advancements also change the way that the game is designed.
1: Right. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, as we as a society improved our attitudes that we put into game design and, publication also improved you know as we started treating women like people hey guess what we also added them to our role-playing games
0: yeah i I just wanted to include the caveat that like that wasn't a entirely progression oh (laughs) there was that there are dips and ebbs and flows in how that works and sometimes we go back to treating people less well than we
1: sure 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 Um, but i would say overall it's an upward trend from where we started right
0: Oh, for sure. And I think that, like, the the original statement from the interview is a reflection of that. Yeah. Right, like, that's the the type of attitude that they're looking for with those. But, like, the, the other cultural influences that we would be looking at is, like, um, if you look at the uh, postmodern era of the 1980s and 1990s, right? Like, everything was talking about, like, deconstructing ideas and art, right? Like art started becoming about like what is art and what isn't art definitions of like, how do you create art? And that was also impacting other types of creation and other types of design. And so D and D third edition carried some of those concepts into it. And it does have a fairly like cynical worldview in a lot of ways where later versions of the game are a bit more hopeful. Yeah. Right, you've got like the, the points of light system where like your heroes are coming to save the day. Right. right? Like they are here to cause a benefit and change for the world. Right. And D and D suffers from this less than other games. I think it's actually one of the the interesting points about that. Cause like D and D harkens back to, and is beholden to design, aesthetics from the 1960s right like it still has those as holdovers for what it was creating in the 1960s where like looking at a bunch of the indie games looking at a bunch of like looking at the forge forge games were all about deconstructing like what is game how do we make game better um, what elements do you need for game all of that and they started to work those into the way that they designed their games and now that we're looking at um like meta modernism is i think the the accepted term for like the the art era that we're moving into it's all about like finding a genuine um, and authentic expression of self or a general like a, an authentic expression of thing and we're seeing that a lot in the games that are being developed right now not so much in Dungeons and Dragons but like a lot of the games that are being uh, created around Dungeons and Dragons we're seeing that Right. So like those influences do impact how we design and we start stealing things from the games that are designing in that way, putting them into the thing that we're creating and hopefully building a better and more interesting product through it.
1: Well, yeah, that's and that's just where like it seems so clear to me that this guy just like doesn't understand design on a fundamental level, which is worrying to me, given that Mr. Suck here is apparently working on his own RPG system. But like. The fact that like he seems to have this idea that uh, design should exist in a vacuum, free of outside influences, and never move past the original intent of the original designer is so like like reduction, like reductive, and like uh, just like infantile thinking. Like it's a child's <laughs> understanding of design. Like, oh, I, the design is when one person has an idea and then they make it, right? It's not like, oh, well, there's initial concept, like, there's your first draft, there's people editing it, there's, you know, proofreaders, there's uh, testers who are gonna see, hey, that design idea you had doesn't actually even work on a fundamental level. There's, you know, like, he even, it blows my mind that he mentions that there's more people than Gygax involved in the creation of D&D, and yet, oh, well, we're not staying true to Gary's vision. Like, well, half of D&D that you love wasn't Gary's vision. It was other people improving the rough framework that he had. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some designers out there that are worth lionizing, but I don't think Gary Gygax is one of them. Like, you can respect his influence on essentially creating a genre of gameplay, but mm-hmm. he definitely didn't create like role playing games as we know them. You know, no, it, it, like you said, instrumental
0: it took, in that creation. Yeah. Go but ahead.
1: like you said, it took guys like Monty and took like, you know, the West coast people to like, yeah, add character. Like this guy didn't know the difference between a race and a character. He was just like, yeah, whatever you're an elf. <laughs> elf is your whole thing. Like, you know, yeah. if if you want to lionize a designer, lionize Richard Garfield, lionize Reiner Knizia, right. lionize Uwe Rosenberg, you know, mm-hmm. guys who like are auteurs and put out huge amounts of content, not just like one game that they adapted from their basement, you know. Or if you are um, looking at
0: somebody who's doing like one game, look at somebody like Rosewater, sure, right, who has been designing the same game for what like twenty years, and keeps but also bringing... like. Yeah, fresh stuff to it he and he's bringing fresh stuff to it and he's got a like a fantastically design um savvy mind
1: well and that's the thing right? his like, his background and his education are clearly and and the thing he's passionate about is design not just like mm-hmm. playing a game with his friends but like he you know he's got a whole whole lectures out there about like what does it mean to design a something? And like, what are your objectives when designing? Like, I don't think yeah. Gary had many objectives when he was designing d and d other than I want to play Lord of the Rings with my friends, and I need someone to take on the thankless job of being all the monsters. like <laughs> I, I I, I'm serious
0: like Gary I, mostly played the monsters, but yeah <laughs> well, but,
1: but but that's what I'm saying is like he didn't have like, a commercial end to his design, which say what you will about capitalism, but like Rosewater having to have like consumers that he's accountable to really sharpens his design logic and reasoning and methodology into something that's like actually productive.
0: I don't think it's just that either though. Like I think the fact that he is looking at design in a bit more of like a holistic direction, right? Like the, the the thing, the thing that I remember him talking about that impacted me the most in design was Dieter Rams' ten principles of good design. Right, right. And like, I wouldn't have come across Dieter Rams otherwise. Right, like I, I wasn't familiar with his work. The guy's a production designer. He, yeah, he makes stuff. Right, like the, the, This was a guy who his designs were radios and chairs. But these are the people that uh, good designers, great designers, are pulling from when looking at how to create something that's going to be meaningful to people. So, And I'm not sure that uh, Gary necessarily had that background as a designer.
1: I feel confident in saying that he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, like... I... It's so like apparent to anyone with any amount of like critical thinking skills that the first draft of something is almost never the best version of it. Um, Right. You know, even like as much as you know, I can say that like yeah, like Garfield came up with almost the perfect card game on like his first go, but again, almost. almost yeah. like it still took refinement he still had some things in there that just really would not be healthy for the long term longevity of the game that had to be like curtailed right Well, like um, the, the 700
0: page rule book for like the advanced rules for magic the gathering definitely speak to that
1: yeah um, yeah but like the framework was still really really good but it still mm-hmm. wasn't perfect um no. the the same goes for any, I think any medium. I mean, the first draft. This guy's talking about this, essentially what I would call like the second draft of D anD. d And saying, ah, oh, it's, uh, it's perfect. I'm like, oh no, um, that was like, first of all, pretty close to the original, and like, yeah, <laughs> it, even then, like, it it made some significant changes that, oh, might not be in line with Gary's original design or whatever. But like, think of well, yeah, think like... of any medium that requires like input from other people um in the final product like well the 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 example i gave before when i was talking to you was thinking of doom the video game um Mm -hmm. if you look at so doom eternal came out what a couple years ago now and Mm -hmm. people loved it like for a variety of reasons the gameplay Mm -hmm. has been refined to something that's like it's almost like a rhythm game of violence um Mm -hmm. And the character of who the Doom guy is has been sort of distilled down to this like mysterious badass who even the Satan is afraid of. Um and like the the world that's been made about like, okay, what what kind of universe does Doom exist in? What has happened to Earth and where are these demons from? And what are they doing now that they're here? That took what, 30 years? No, more than 30 years, like 40 years of refinement?
0: Mm-hmm. Um And pulled from so many different other games and like designs to be able to achieve the thing that it achieved.
1: Right. But this guy would fire it up and look at it and be like, oh, it's not 2D sprites. That's not John Carmack's original vision. So it's not good. It's not, that's not Doom. (laughs) That's not Doom anymore. That's just an, an action game. That's fine for you, but I prefer Doom, the real Doom, like shot up you tool bag. I I'm so sick of these OSR elitists who are like holding the 1960s over everyone's head and being like, "This is when society was perfect." Like you you said <laughs> earlier, they're like they're like me- mega gamers,
0: right? Yeah, make America great again of yeah. gamers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think the the catalyst for the old school Renaissance, like I, I remember. Um, there have always been people who played old school versions of games and there've always been old school versions of games like palladium books is still putting notebooks and they've been an AD and D clone for 30 plus years. Um, do what makes you happy. (laughs) The, um, the real catalyst for it was like fourth edition. Yeah. Like people were railing against the, um, the design of fourth edition saying that it was like stealing from world of warcraft and um that they didn't like the the fact that fighters had so much to do and uh whatever other ridiculous complaints they had about it and while the osr really picked up steam during that they they fell off quite a bit after fifth edition came out good and fourth edition is having a bigger impact on newer game design, right? Like, games are coming out that have fourth edition mechanics baked into them, and that's because they were good.
1: Yeah, because they took influences from more than just one guy. Yeah, maybe it did pull some stuff from World of Warcraft. Okay, the most successful RPG of of all time. To be fair. Yeah. Right,
0: like, World of Warcraft stole from D&D well before D&D ever took anything back from World of Warcraft. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah 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 No no, don't get me wrong.
1: Like the like digital RPGs have just stolen from D&D and whatever for as long as they've existed. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But again, they had iterations and time to learn. Like we weren't mm-hmm. publishing 4th edition and being like, "Wow, they really stole some ideas from Ultima Online." Like, no, we just took <laughs> like the most revised and and like engaging version of RPGs at the time and found a mm-hmm. way to put it on the table. Like I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't understand why people railed against like every class being engaging. Like why is that a bad thing? Which why? Which
0: D&D video game was it that was still using second edition? It was one of the Forgotten Realms ones. I think oh. it might've been the first Baldur's Gate.
1: Yeah, and I or haven't maybe Neverwinter Nights. I've tried and bounced off of basically every single like strict D and D video game out there because they just it's they're not for that medium, right?
0: Yeah. Um, I was just I, thinking that it would be kind of funny to say that like if it was the first Baldur's Gate, oh it yeah, was yeah, yeah, second edition, that third edition bit off of uh, Baldur's Gate real hard. Well, right? I, hey, <laughs> like, good for them. Like.
1: You know, frankly, um, I know, like, Baldur's Gate 3 is just, like, 5th edition light and taking some things and, Mm -hmm. you know, but, like, I wouldn't be mad if whatever, you know, 6th edition turns out to be steals some ideas from Baldur's Gate 3 and is like, oh, yeah, we could trim some of the fat here. That's okay.
0: I actually had a new player on my table yesterday. Um, Somebody who had never actually played Sit Down D&D before. And... His entry into it was Baldur's Gate. Yep. Right. Like he, he came in talking about how he was going to use his like his training montage on Baldur's Gate 3 to totally own DD. And he had a lot of fun. And yep. he had that introduction to the game already. So like he knew a lot of the mechanics that a first time player wouldn't have when I first started playing. Yeah, I think I, I think, think probably great. puts you
1: seventy five percent of the way there.
0: Yeah, that's fucking great. Good. Yeah, head start.
1: Yeah, go play some uh, World like of Warcraft, he... and we'll bust out our fourth edition books. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I don't know where my fourth edition Player's Handbook is actually.
1: Oh, I yeah, I just moved all of my stuff into uh, a little receptacle there, so I know where, exactly where everything is. Unfortunately.
0: I, I think I lent it to th- my son. Oh, yeah. It's somewhere in his room. But
1: I, uh, I mean, I still... Like, even when planning 5th edition stuff, I go back to the 4th edition books for inspiration. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, not just because I own, like, 95% of them, but, like, mm-hmm. they just... That whole system was, like... Again, we've talked about this, like, taking design chances. And, yep. like, I, whoever was running the team that was, like, designing 4th Edition, someone told them, like, hey, it's okay to be, like, to throw caution to the wind, you know? Mm -hmm. Because the thing we've been doing up until now hasn't, like, broken through to the mainstream, you know? Well, like, 4th
0: Edition solved problems. Yeah. Right, like, it came in and it saw problems that were common D&D from first edition through third and it came up with some new and interesting ways to try and solve those problems yeah did they all work no were they fucking cool sometimes most of the time yeah one of the things that I love about some of the games that are coming off of fourth edition like lancer has mechanics that allow you to let your friends do stuff. Yeah. Very war, like very warlord. Yeah. Right. Um, And like building interactions into the game as move sets. Yeah. Yeah, an yeah. Interesting, cool way of handling that. Yeah. Right. And I, I'm super happy to see that there are other games that are pulling from that well, because it does solve a problem of, waiting for my turn is boring. Yep. Right. Like combat can be as interesting as you want it to be. And like having combat can be boring sometimes if what you're doing is waiting for your turn. Yeah. So giving people a way to let other people do stuff when it isn't their turn is great for engagement. Yeah. 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 Right. And those are the kinds of problems that fourth edition swooped in to, to try and solve.
1: Yeah, I mean right. it really played with the idea of like what does a player turn mean and like you know how can you how can we make everyone feel engaged 100% of the time and like what does engagement mean does it just mean like yeah. I wait for someone to walk by and react and hit him with a stick or like am I you know manipulating the battlefield or or just giving my friends an opportunity to shine you know
0: It's too bad it isn't real D&D <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's the most real D anD D,
0: frankly. Uh, we've taken sides in the edition war for sure. Yeah, definitely. But like, fifth edition is also pulling from some interesting sources. Yeah, right. Like the the focus of it feels very much like a, a return to form of third edition. Yeah, but it has streamlined a lot. Yeah, um, I, I know that like one one of my favorite mechanics from third edition that they didn't bring over into into fifth, uh, touch AC versus flat footed AC versus AC. Yeah, right. Like having having your different kinds of AC, and like while I miss some of that, and I have considered bringing it back into my game. Yeah. Every time I've thought about bringing it back, I've realized how clunky it is. Yeah. Right? Like, how how much complexity it's adding to an incredibly simple mechanic. Okay. Right. And so, like, that, that kind of streamlining and focus is good to see, but, like, in a lot of ways, 5th edition feels like it was built by committee.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um...
0: And didn't necessarily learn all of the lessons that it could have, because like it did pull very heavily from the OSR. Yeah. Right, like, which um I think was to its detriment, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean one of the 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 guy that came and like talked to me about my hyperbole um was credited on the book until they took him off. Yeah. And like he, he's very strongly into the the OSR. Side of things like he wrote, um, one of the bigger OSR books that's kicking around, and so like having those influences in the game, um, and like touting it as a return to form, yeah, um, kind of means that some of the the other influences that they could have been pulling from, they didn't, yeah, right, like a lot of the narrative tools that they could have been bringing in, they didn't, so
1: well, and that's so. My biggest frustration with 5th edition is that it felt like a big step back to satisfy a portion of the audience that was never going to be satisfied in the first place. Um, Right. I... So, I have been, like, TTRPG-adjacent since, like, junior high, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I was involved with, like, every other toy in the comic shop except for D&D, you know? Um, (laughs) because, (laughs) Because it, like... It was sort of inscrutable. You know, It, it mm-hmm. I could see the kind of people who were attracted to it that I just did not want to be associated with and nothing right. about it fired the imagination. It just seemed like the kind of weirdos who are have now migrated over to like this sort of OSR group. But when 4th Edition came out, it definitely... Like, that like even now ideas for characters just based on mm-hmm. like the races and classes that were unique to fourth edition still pop into my head every once in a while I'm like oh man how can i make that happen in fifth edition and then i i reverse engineer it you know
0: um <laughs> your your sorcerer that turned into a warlord
1: my sorcerer that turned into an invoker that oh, okay. <laughs> well actually yeah, i i had both um yes the the current sorcerer I'm playing is a combination of an idea I had for an old invoker plus, yeah, like the, the warlord who just, like, grabs other people and makes them do shit for him and moves them around the battlefield. Yeah. Um, but, like, the blandness that they brought back from trying to please these old grognards who just love to complain about any progress whatsoever, like, really, I think was a detriment to the whole and, and I think D and D right now is, is doing well in spite of itself because it found for whatever reason, a generation of particularly charismatic people to champion it to the world. But Mm -hmm. if the game itself was trying to sell its product to people without those people would not happen.
0: Well, there are stronger candidates for the type of game that Dungeons & Dragons wants to be right now, right? Like, um, Burning Wheel has a version that is specifically geared towards adventuring that is fantastic. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, Dungeon World, despite having been designed by somebody who is apparently a dick weasel. Um <laughs> Very strong in the way that it was designed. Like the Apocalypse World games are fantastic. Yeah, um, and I felt that Dungeon World really accomplished what the OSR was trying to do, while it wholeheartedly embracing new technology. Yeah, right, and like making the gun the game slick and fun and constantly moving forward and engaging. In a way that didn't involve all of the the niggly bookkeeping. Yeah. So. And and I feel like there there are a lot of games that are coming out that fill that niche in cooler ways. Like, do we really need another dungeon-delving game? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I don't think we do. I I don't think that we need a ton more dungeon-delving games. I want to see... Other cool, weird shit, yeah, give me stuff like uh, what was that one with the, the the forest sea, like wild sea or something, yeah, wild sea um that's that's fucking weird and cool i'll I'll play that, yeah, or uh again, going back to Lancer, right like give, give me a book that's just chock full of mechs that do weird and interesting things and the pilots who do weird and interesting things with them yeah and then let me go do mech fight yeah (laughs) that seems like a fun time we don't have enough of those we don't have enough mech games
1: oh yeah the i'm 100 percent with you on that um i i want there to be more mech games i just i really don't need to live in like the battle tech world anymore (laughs) (laughs)
0: have you taken a look at lancer
1: No, I haven't. I really should, because I got... Oh, you need to. Yeah, I got hung up on, like, just having giant mechs punch each other. um, Yeah. Which is, like, that's kind of my only desire in life, but um, I can't... The learning
0: curve? It's not even the... learning curve is real hard.
1: It's not even the learning curve. I can't do their stupid politics anymore.
0: Oh, mech world politics? Yeah, I just don't
1: care. At all. Like, give me... Mm. It's so dry to me. Just give me something, like, schlocky and pulpy and interesting. And not yeah. just like, ah, well, the house that had its third sire clone to marry the... Bleh, bleh, sh- shut up.
0: Yeah, it doesn't need to be Dune.
1: It really does. It wants to be Dune so badly, but it's <laughs> like. And at face value, like Dune plus giant robots sounds like a good time, but it yeah, it it's too heavy on the Dune without any of like the weird space wizards.
0: Well, the Macross games um came out from Palladium, so definitely don't want to be playing those. Ah no, that's weird. That's weeb shit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: As God, God. as a as a guy who like builds Gundam recreationally, you <laughs> weeb shit. <laughs>
0: yeah, f- f- fuck your fuck your Japanese nonsense. I just uh... get your <laughs> get your weeb stuff out of my role playing game. I don't,
1: I don't know how how hard it is to explain that like when I go into like the store and I just want cool robots. I. Do not want to talk to the guy working there About any of the series Of any of the Gundams I don't watch them, I don't care Just give me big robot with gun <laughs> <laughs> It's Every but, single time I'll be like, oh but Iron-Blooded Orphans is so cool I'm like, I don't care, he's got a sword That's all I want
0: <laughs> But but how is he going to Like upsell you on Your waifu pillow <laughs> uh, Put a Put a robot on it. I put a
1: Gundam Gundam on the body pillow and I will snuggle that turret-titted bastard all night long.
0: Hey, thanks for making it all the way through this episode of No Plot Only Lore. If you're looking for more, you can always find us at NoPlotOnlyLore.com and on all the very best podcast platforms. If you like what you heard today, please share, rate, and review the show to feed my never-ending need for attention and validation.